Well, very nice to see you, Matthew. Uh, I'm Mark Jarvis, uh, CEO of Giga Metals Corp. Uh, we have one of the three extremely large uh, open pitable, low-grade sulfide nickel deposits uh, in Canada that are undeveloped. And uh, we are working on developing that. Uh, these projects, you know, uh, just in general, they're not high-grade underground projects. They're lower-grade open pit projects, much like, say, a copper porphyry project, you know, similar in concept. Uh, very dissimilar in geology, by the way, but uh, very similar in concept. And uh, these projects uh, are all undeveloped because they need higher nickel prices to be developed. Right now, we are seeing those higher nickel prices, and I believe it's just the beginning of a, of a major move in nickel, uh, driven by the electric vehicle revolution um, and driven by the incredible demand, particularly for nickel for the batteries for these electric vehicles. Mark, good to see you. I think we saw you in London back in November. Um, I trust you've had a great uh, Christmas and, and holiday period. Um, look, appreciate you coming on. We've kind of we've got this battery metals uh, week where we're looking at some of the companies, some of the players within the different commodities uh, under that theme of battery metals. And we're gonna explain it in simple terms for people who are perhaps new to the space, new to mining, new, new to commodities. Uh, maybe you have joined us from the world of, of, of tech and uh, looking at the opportunities here. So look, we're gonna maybe, might be worth kicking off the macro, right? So let, let's try and understand the thesis for nickel. We spoke a year and a half ago, um, we've spoken about your, your PEA, your, your pre preliminary economic assessment. And at the time you said, we you probably need $8 nickel. And at the time we didn't have $8 nickel. So uh, what's changed and why? Well, it's all about the electric vehicle. Um, if you want range in your electric vehicle, you need more nickel in your cathode. A nickel has uh, excellent energy density, and uh, especially for the cost. And there's really no substitutes if you want range. Uh, there's another type of battery uh, called uh, LFP, which doesn't con con contain nickel. Uh, they're perfectly suitable for you know, commuter cars for cheap cars and stuff like that. But really, and particularly in North America, uh, you know, large engines, big trucks, that translates into big battery packs with, with, with lots of range. And for that, you have to have nickel. Uh, there really is no substitute. So, you know, if you look at just simple supply and demand, and announced plans for gigafactories in North America. You need an incremental 250,000 tons per year of nickel just to feed North American gigafactories that are being planned to be built. And that's in a total market for nickel of about 3 million tons a year. So, you know, uh, you know of which uh, most of the nickel currently goes to stainless steel. You know, another interesting factoid is that uh, batteries uh, as a percent of nickel use have grown from uh, 3% of total nickel use uh, in, say, 2017-18 to about 13% now. And it's just growing rapidly. It's, uh, I think in terms of supply demand for nickel, this electric vehicle revolution is a once in a hundred years phenomenon. And, uh, you know, it's just, how do you play it? 
Well, how, how do you play is, is the thing. So again, but this, 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 this whole show, this whole series is for people new to this space and trying to understand the basics of it, right? So supply demand is always a great place to start. So on the, the, the demand, you, you're putting firmly at the door of the electric uh, vehicle. Um, obviously, there are other drivers out there um, too. And yes, there'll be substitution of the different commodities. Nickel can be substituted out for some use cases, but the demand numbers are significant. So where's the supply? coming from? Because you, you, you've talked about being low-grade open principle, and we'll explain what that means in a second, but there's also you know high-grade high um, projects. Now, high-grade high grade sounds like they should be much better projects. So what's the difference? Well, well for one thing, where are the new high-grade projects? I haven't seen any for a while, have you? Nope. Um, <laughs> and sometimes you get a high-grade project, but it's not much tonnage. So it's an insignificant source of new supply. These you know, this is what happened in car, you know, in copper. Copper used to be mined from high-grade underground veins. And then the whole copper porphyry model came along. Um, and, you know, at first it was met with disbelief because how can you mine something that low-grade? But most of the copper in the world now comes from low-grade, open-pit, copper porphyry mines. And, I, you know, the same thing's going to happen with nickel. And it's not just us. I mean, I think... You know, I think of the other deposits that are out there that are similar. I don't even think of it as competition. They all need to be developed and then some. And so, you know, I, I, I strongly believe that all of these deposits are going to get developed this market cycle. It, that's 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 a big claim, right? Because that means uh, there's it a is. lot of money needs to come into the space to to not not just investing, but to actually finance the exploration, the development, and getting into production uh, for you know all, all of the companies that are out there hunting it down. But let's, let's stick with the high grade and low grade because I want to make sure people totally understand before we go off elsewhere. You're right. There's not a, there's not a lot of high grade projects out there, and those that exist just don't have the tonnage. That means there's not a lot of contained metal per cubic meter compared right. to say, a lower grade, uh, more homogenous, like the, the fact that, this, that the metal is spread evenly throughout that, that cubic meter. So um, right. if, I'm, if I'm going to invest in a project, like your project requires a huge capex, right? So you're over a million and a half bucks for phase one alone. It is, you need to believe that you're gonna get your money back, right? right. <laughs> That's number one, you know, am I gonna lose money? Am I gonna make money? Um, and that means there's got to be a lot of contained metal in a low-grade bulk tonnage like that. It's got to be multi-decade, multi-cycle um, project. So, um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about your your project and perhaps why well, that should be or is attractive to investors. Sure. Um, well, for for one thing, we're talking about uh, a project that will produce an average of thirty-three thousand tons per year of nickel over a thirty-seven-year mine life. Uh, that's a giant project by anyone's definition. Um, and, you know, the competition is all of a similar size. Uh, you know, the other competition we've got for development dollars is uh, high-pressure, high-temperature acid leach projects. Uh, they're oxide uh, nickel deposits, laterite deposits. They're strip mines. They're not open pit mines. And a lot of them are located in the Coral Triangle in the Pacific in places like Indonesia and Papua New Guinea and so forth, uh, in places that don't have very strict environmental regimes. Uh, they're quick to develop. But 
Our project compares favorably in pure economic terms to those HPAL projects, uh, which have a higher headline grade, but it's nickel and cobalt and clay. It's very difficult to get the metals out of the clay. It's very complicated and so forth. One of the strengths of our deposit is its simplicity. It's crush it, grind it, float it. It's, it's simplicity itself. We make a beautiful high-grade concentrate, which we can then sell to a smelter, or we can then process uh, via what's called POX, pressure oxidation circuits, into the precursor uh, chemical forms of nickel and cobalt that the battery makers want. So uh, now where the Indonesian and Papua New Guinea projects outcompete us is that you can get a permit very quickly to build a mine there. Uh, whereas in Canada, you know, we have uh, very uh, high standards uh, environmentally. It'll take three years to go through an environmental assessment and to get permits to build a large project. However, it can be done. It is done all the time in Canada. I guess the point I'm making here is that although you can build these ones uh, in the South Pacific more quickly, um, you know, you have to worry about the ethics of your sourcing of the battery materials. And so if you're buying an electric vehicle, for example, to try to save the world, you pay attention to where your batteries are coming from. Because if they're coming from China and these HPAL projects, they involve strip mining, uh, in many cases, swaths, mile after mile of tropical rainforest, uh, processing very aggressively with uh, sulfuric acid, uh, and then dumping the tailings into the ocean. So uh, with an incredibly high carbon footprint, uh, we, by contrast, it's an open pit mine, so it's relatively small surface disturbance relative to, to the amount of rock that we're moving. Um, and we're very, very low carbon intensity. So if you care about the ethics of the supply chain of the electric vehicle that you're driving, you need to be looking at jurisdictions like Canada, Australia, Europe, uh, rather than these HPAL projects uh, in the Coral Triangle. Right. So the Indonesian projects, high-pressure acid leach, HPAL projects, uh, sometimes for it's a, a, a dirty nickel, would you believe? Okay. I, th I think it's a nice marketing uh, term to kind of create a yep. them and us situation, but then you kind of got the kind of Western approach uh, with, with, and that's what they, they, they are laterites. Your sulfides. And sul yeah. sulfides that yeah they do you have a slightly more exacting envir environmental permitting process. Uh, also, I think you touched upon perhaps uh, carbon sequestration. So aiming for this net zero uh, goals that the OEMs, the car manufacturers, are, are demanding of their supply chain. Um, so it, it all looks good, but there's not a lot of you. <laughs> There's not a lot of big projects. There haven't been big nickel projects for a while. And that's been partly because of being cash constrained um, and the price of, of, of nickel. But where do you see the market moving now? And we talked earlier about the need for more investment into, you know, and getting all of these producers uh, producing nickel because we're going to need it all. So is that possible? Is, is the money there? You know, I think, I think the question you're really asking, uh, Matthew, is, is, you know, how do you find, how do little companies finance huge projects? Because, you know, I mean, what's our market cap? It's 35 or 40 million Canadian. 
Um, and we've got a project that we've modeled as spending 1.4 billion US on stage one, and then plus another half a billion to double capacity in year four or five. It does uh, lend itself to staging, to building in stages like that. Call it 2 billion US. How does a teensy little company like ours get it built? And, you know, we've talked about this before. And retain enough of the, the value that you can create. Exactly. Because the money, the money will demand all of the upside and you've got to retain it. There's the arbitrage that you've got to work out. Exactly. And that is the classic problem of the mining business with large deposits that have been found by small companies. Um, and that's it. So, so, so we have to get, and this is, this is all of our efforts are currently being bent towards this. We have to get a strategic investor in at the project level. Uh, we think it'll take from where we stand today, 30 million US or more to get to shovel ready status. And I say or more because there's inflation happening in costs in the mining business right now, like nothing I've seen before. So, so all the numbers are moving around a bit. Um, you know, to do that by continuing to dilute our equity would leave nothing left for the shareholders. And uh, I'm the largest shareholder of our company. And so that's not what I want. I'm not in this for a salary. I take a very modest salary. Um, what we're, what we're doing right now is we're focusing on the people that actually need the nickel and are going to need the nickel over the next few decades, uh, particularly battery companies, Western battery companies. The Chinese battery companies already have their supply chains figured out, and the Western battery companies don't. So if they're going to be around in 10 years, they better get their supply chains figured out, and they realize that. So there's a lot of discussions going on and we want to get them involved at the project level, put in, put in 30 million US to get X percent of the project. And then we are free to advance the project without equity dilution at that point, you know, to shovel ready status. Um, also, uh, if we get terms that we're trying to get, it's gonna imply a much higher uh, valuation to our market cap than we currently uh, don't enjoy. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's really the solution. And uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful at this point. Um, these things don't happen overnight. Uh, we're talking to extremely large companies with extremely large bureaucracies where you have to find an internal champion and they have to push it up the chain of command until you get to a decision maker. But we're doing that. We're doing that in several cases, and um, you know, that's going to be the key. That's the key development to watch for uh, with us going forward. Right, but you're, you're I mean, talking talk about you, that, that is exactly where I wanted to go with it with the question, by the way, by the way, is because investors looking into this space, you know, might be looking at, you know, companies like yourself, you know, sub 50 million, say, and go, well, how do, how do they do that without diluting the heck out of, Existing shareholders. How do they get to that endpoint where there can there can be some exit event or some monetization event or some sort of strategic investor or whatever that moment looks like? Um, and and it's difficult. It's really difficult. It's a lot easier though when the price of the commodity is as high as it's been. Well, I think in Nickel's case, ever. This is, this is these these prices are extraordinary. 
Um, I, I uh, these are the highest prices since about 2011. Right. What happened then? Oh, uh, well, that was a dead cat bounce after the 2008, um, you know, financial meltdown. Uh, and then uh, Indonesia stopped exporting raw material. And so that caused uh, a run in the nickel price in 2011. And then Indonesia relaxed that and, and uh, the nickel price went down again. Uh, now, um, the whole rise of electric vehicles is a brand new source of demand. Again, a once in a hundred year event. I mean, this is, this is, I haven't seen anything like this in my career, this whole new source of demand, and it requires pure nickel. You know, there's, there's a lot of more than half of world production is what's called ferro-nickel, which is a mixture of iron and nickel and all sorts of other impurities. Perfect for the stainless business, but not perfect for batteries. And you can take any form of nickel and process it and purify it, but it's a question of economics, how much does it cost? What we've got lends itself to direct development to the cathode uh, supply chain. Okay, well, let's come back to using you as a case study, okay? So you, you are where you are today. You've talked about leading 30 or more million bucks to, to be shovel-ready. So shovel just again, make sure everyone understands the terminology. Shovel-ready means what? Shovel-ready means you've got your... Uh, engineering completely done. You know exactly what the mine looks like and how it's going to be built. You've you've even figured out the construction schedule, uh, and you've completed your environmental assessment uh, and have construction permits. That's shovel ready. Okay. So and to 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 do that, you're talking about a minimum of thirty million bucks. Yes, yeah, there is inflation at the moment. Costs are. Uh, rising steadily um, and supply, supply chains are being affected, supply costs are being dramatically affected uh, across the board. Um, it will require you to deliver a bunch of studies. So we'll go, th we'll go through, a, you've done, you've got a PEA. Are we moving on to a PFS feasibility study and definitive feasibility study or will you be skipping? Yes. You, you will. You go through this, the standard phases, no, no surprises there. And each one of That's those right. delivers a, a different level of certainty. So PEA, what it exactly. could be. Exactly. You've got PEA, what it could be. PFS, what it should be, and a feasibility study, what it, what it will be effect effectively. And, and the DFS just firms up on that. Is that fair enough? That's a very good, that's a very good explanation. It's, it's each level of engineering study is simply a higher level of detail on every front. Okay, so, um, and just a higher level of certainty on, on every front. You know, there's a saying in the mining business, you don't really know what the mine looks like until you built it and operated it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's you do know quite a bit, particularly with deposits like ours, which are relatively homogenous. You see, it's different than a high-grade underground uh, deposit where you, you've, got, you've got super high-grade and a nice little chunk here, and then you've got low-grade, and it's a skinnier bit there, and how do you mine this? And it's very difficult to predict. And in fact, in the old days with, uh, with, with, with vein deposits for gold mines, they'd, you know, they'd maybe find a bit of gold, and then they'd just start mining it because, you know... <laughs> With those types of deposits, uh, drilling it to 43101 standards, you might as well start mining it with the money you're spending. So that's what they did in the old days. And you know, some of the most famous mines from the sort of early 1900s, they found a bit of gold at surface, 
they started tunneling in and mining it and stoping it out. And they ended up with 3 million ounces. They ended up with million ounce stopes. And then sometimes it would peter out and turn to nothing and they'd stop. So it, it, it's, it's inherently less predictable. Whereas a large homogenous ore body is more predictable and um, less risky. You know, you, you know what you've got. You've got a very high degree of certainty about what you've got. And in fact, in our case, uh, you know, a lot of the uncertainty is about, you know, your resource. You've got inferred resources. You've got indicated resources. You've got measured resources. And what it really amounts to is, you know, you know a denser drilling pattern. And, it, it, and what we found with our deposit, and we've drilled over 400 holes in this thing, is that if we've got inferred resources and we do infill drilling, that the hole that's in between the two holes is, dare I say it, always very similar to the holes around it. It's, 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 it's that's been the case historically. That doesn't mean it's always going to be the case, but you kind of start to expect it after a while. Right. So homogenous is good. It means they technically it's simpler. Um, the expectations are, are similar and it's an earth moving exercise um, because it's fairly, I say, homogenous and therefore the, yep. the process of extracting the, the metal is, is fairly, fairly similar. Uh, you, there's no, there's no uh, shocks or uh, um, exactly. unwanted um, Kind of r r r r r um, situations, right? So, okay, so th so that's so that's where. Yeah. So again, so let's stick with you as the as the kind of case study for this. So we've talked about the money and the need for a partner, and you're going through a process at the moment. Talked about the simplicity of the uh, low grade sulfide, kind of bulk bulk mining. I think is you know, could could be um, yes. referred to. Um, with with regards to you know. <laughs> Going through the going through those steps, um, we're seeing we're in terms of the studies and so forth. We're seeing acquisitions being made at different phases. It's not a case of you have to deliver all of all of those phases and then say right now who wants to buy us, who wants to invest in us, because you've seen projects like Noront. You have Wailu and BHP uh, fighting over that. It's in it's much. I think is it where, where, compared to you? Where where are they? North South. East West. Uh, their engineering is more advanced than ours. I think yeah. they're at feasibility level, um, and it's a higher grade deposit. Um, but you need to spend more than a billion dollars to build a road in there, um, and they're planning to dig a hole underground. It's in the middle of a swamp. And anyways, I, I mean that's a different yeah. A different but, but I think my, my my point is, and if you look at people like like Canada Nickel, who are perhaps you know going through you know ahead of you in in sense of their um they're they're kind of I think I think they're kind of going through this the study process at the moment. But you're all similar in the sense that it's low grade bulk tonnage, and the and the point is that you're in demand. <laughs> Right, people are yeah. seeing this as, as as long life of mine. You're, you're 30 years plus, and I think most, I think both Norrin and Canada Nickel would like to say that there's something similar. But you're in demand. It, it's not off-putting to for BHP or a Wiley to have to spend a billion bucks putting a road in because there's enough meth, well, contained metal. Well, there. well, especially you know, you know, it's all a question of pricing and it's all a question of risk. Um, you know, I would say that of the large undeveloped pro projects of the world, ours is the simplest by a country mile. I mean, it is uh, our 19, without getting too technical, 
of the nickel and cobalt are contained in pentlandite, one mineral. And so crush it, grind it, and then the froth flotation has to do one thing and one thing only, float pentlandite and suppress everything else. That's it. It's so simple. And it's 100-year-old technology. Everybody knows it works. If you're going to spend a couple of billion dollars building a mine, you need to be happy that it's going to work. And, and uh, you know, and that's one of the things that differentiates uh, all the sulfide deposits from HPAL. Uh, and it's the thing that, that I think differentiates us from all the other sulfide deposits. Uh, they're more complex than we are. Okay, so... Um there's a need for all of the above. You've said that at, you've said that at the beginning. You've got a simpler process. Norand have got a higher grade. Canada Nickel have got a lot a lot of prospectivity. You've each kind of got something. But the, the, the point is on on the on the supply side, um, people are looking for projects like like yours. Investors should look at low grade bulk tonnage nickel projects just as readily as they might or just as eagerly as they might look at some of these high grade numbers which some press releases um you know they're very attractive people get attracted by high grade numbers but you're, you're explaining today to investors why you're not a bad bet let me say this is 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 that um history tells us that when a small company has a huge project uh the investors do best when the whole company gets sold at some point I mean, we all know that. We all sort of pretend, oh, we're going to build this. But, but it never happens with small companies building large projects. That's, the, that's, that's what history tells us. And if you try, you just you know, blow yourselves up and the shareholders suffer. But if you sell the whole company, uh, then the shareholders do very well indeed. And you know, ultimately, market permitting, the mine gets built and, and, and now you've got a new mine. Um, our approach is not to be talking to the mining companies right now. It's premature. Uh, our approach is to get that strategic investor on board at this stage for say 20% of the project and um, get a re-rating in our stock. That, that will deliver that, I, I feel confident. Um, and then be able to develop it a little further, let the nickel market develop a little further, and ultimately sell it for the highest possible price we can get. Right. So we, we've explained it simply for people new to mining and new to investing yep. in, in mining companies, let alone nickel mining companies. Let's give a little bit of something for your, your current shareholders in terms of your approach. As you've just described, 20% for, let's say, $30 million company, you're expecting some of the 30 plus million and you're you're going to be doing this in stages otherwise you're going to you know blow your share registry up asking for 30 million up all at once now right that's right okay that's that's right i i you know i mean my my financing method of last resort is equity financing because we think that our stock is far too cheap and that we're giving away the project far too cheap every time we do an equity raise that said, you have to keep advancing the project, I think. I think you strategically have to keep advancing the project, particularly in the uh, nickel price environment that we're in now. So um, choice one is to get a strategic on board at the project level rather than at the equity level. Okay. 
Um, look, Mark, I, I think given that this, this conversation is really for a sort of slightly a, a newer audience, I think we'll leave it there. Perhaps we can talk again and, and dive into your project proper for, you know, your shareholder, perhaps a little bit more experienced audience. They might do that in the context of, um, some of the other, some of the other battery, uh, metal stories and maybe in specific some of the nickel stories out there. Cause as you say, and as we say on our weekly, uh, battery show, we need all the nickel projects we can get. Uh, it's, it's not a competition. It's, we need all of the above. It's something we're walking into huge deficits across the board. So, um, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Matthew. I appreciate your, your time as well.